Hey, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show, the podcast that translates Donald Trump as if he needed translation. We take a look at the current administration. We address the existential threats to America. Today, uh, a little different tack. We will hear from Paul Kangor, author, professor of political science at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania. Knows more about Ronald Reagan than I think anybody I know. We'll get his thoughts on this new push to tear down statues and monuments, focusing on the statues I have seen many times in California of, let's say this right, Junipero Sarah, okay. Father Sarah, Franciscan mon- uh, monk, uh, priest, who uh, regarded as the spiritual father of California. We'll also check in with our friend Joel Farkas. He's also Californian, but not a saint. Mm-hmm. So he's, <laughs> he's a good guy. Though. He's a very good guy. Yeah, very good guy. <laughs> Some days I think he is. Right. <laughs> He's the director of the American Strategy Group. I'm a fellow at the American Strategy Group here in Washington. Uh, a couple things on my mind, Claude. I'd like to just go on a bit and then I'll get your comment. First, a correction. I, I think I said last week, maybe two weeks in a row, that there were 500 killings of black citizens in, in uh, Chicago this year. Three police-related. I think the number's 300 killed. Okay. Three police-related. Makes the point. 1% of the issue is cops with... Black citizens, and those cops could well have been black, too. And I, I know no arguments that there was inappropriate behavior. I know no charges against any cops in any of those. So, yes, yes, again, the obligatory, of course, the terrible thing that happened in, in Minneapolis uh, and, uh, you know, and some of these other incidents. But I just don't think we can indict an entire profession for this. I know we can't, and it's very dangerous, too. Uh, I heard somebody saying, it was an anti-cop person, you know, we just can't have uh, cops be the be-all and end-all. Well, the cops are not the be-all and end-all. They are maybe the end-all. They're, they're where it ends. Uh, when I was drug czar, I, I, February, let's see, 89, I flew to Detroit because it was this is the city with the worst drug problems in the country. And uh, that day, <laughs> the Sunday I flew out, Washington Post read a story saying, nope, we've Washington, D.C.'s overcome, overtaken Detroit. So I got there. The detective in Detroit said to me, hey, you should have stayed home. we got a bigger <laughs> problem there. But I talked to a lot of people. But I, one of the conversations I remember was with a judge, black judge. And he said, you know, I'm the end of the line for these guys. The law is the end of the line for these guys. He said, I sentence these guys and I say to them, young man, didn't anyone ever show you the difference between right and wrong? So they look, me, look at me and they say, no, sir. He said, you know something? I believe him. A lot of them never, never learned it. They never learned it. So uh, the cops are there when all hell breaks loose. The cops are there when things break down. If churches, families, schools, communities were doing their job, you could do with fewer cops. Right. But when you have family breakdown, you have social breakdown, you have cultural breakdown, you probably need more cops. So I think, you know, we're talking about the election. They're saying that number one issue, economy, number two, COVID, I Yes, maybe, provided you can assure the American people that lawful control of the streets is in the hands of the people who are chosen and designated to do that. Uh, If people are thinking that it's chaos here in in New York or elsewhere, that's, that's, you know, as as it was or close to for, for years during the Dinkins, Mayor Dinkins regime, then you have a real then you have a real problem. I was uh, in a debate Fox recently with the head of the American Federation of Teachers about kids going back to school. She said they were in favor of kids going back to school, provided teachers got a whole lot more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it's always what they're saying. Tune in thirty years later; it's the same, same thing, same, thing. <laughs> same line. 
And I said, I, I can think of one good reason not to send our kids back to school because the streets are unsafe. Mm-hmm. And if the streets in New York become really unsafe because of this cut, and we begin to see just, you know, violence just occurring all the time and police not responding because of fear of confrontation or, you know, they're told to go slow or whatever, then I think that rises to the number one issue. Security, safety, the safety of the citizenry is the first object of government. That's the Federalist Papers. So, you know, let's deal with these issues, deal with these problems, let's deal with, you know, the questions of uh, fair treatment, equal treatment, but let's not lose sight of the fundamental thing here, which is to keep safe. The one argument I would think about would be persuasive to me if I were a parent in New York City right now is I wouldn't send my kid out if the streets were not safe, and I'm not sure they are right now. Mm -hmm. Not sure they are in Minneapolis either. You know, the chop thing in Seattle, you know, the mayor talking about it's just a big block party and, you know, summer fun. And four people got shot, two of them died. Cops couldn't get in. This is this is crazy. This is, people say it's Lord of the Flies, Lord of the Flies. How about a little better reference to Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan? Man in a state of nature, that is, before he makes these civil agreements, these agreements by which we live by, by which we live, he said, before man makes that, life is bad. Uh, life is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. And this is what could happen. And I'm I'm worried about it. I frankly think that the, the breakdown is on the brink, at least in some places. Now, we can pull back, but we're not going to pull back unless we can stand up clearly and firmly and say we're opposed to unequal treatment or opposed to discrimination, opposed to cops doing things that are inappropriate based on people's race. But we stand with the cops. We stand with the law. We stand with... Uh, Civility and civil order, it's a, it's a requisite of society. Watch this as a political issue. You know, why, why doesn't Joe Biden clearly condemn this stuff? Is the riot end of the demonstrators, the riot part of the demonstration group, that essential to his support that he can't condemn them? I don't know. But um, uh, uh, COVID, here we go again. Uh, panic on the COVID. Uh, okay, I know zillions of new cases. Really, main reason is lots of new testing. Fewer hospitalizations and uh, many fewer deaths. Right. I don't care if I have the bug. It doesn't discombobulate me. It doesn't disable me. It doesn't kill me. I don't care. Taking bugs all the time. You know, one day you wake up, you have a film on, you get took in a bug. But this this panic again. I, you know, I think the media, the Democrats, and some of these public health officials who love being in the center of the action are, are pushing this thing. Okay, I want to get some emails, uh, but uh, I want to talk to our guests first. So let's uh, let's do that. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Let's welcome Paul Kangor, author, professor of political science, Grove City College. I love Grove City. Love it, Professor Kangor. How are you, sir? Bill, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. How are things at Grove City? Good. They're good. Yeah, things at Grove City are good. And, and like so many other colleges, we're all looking toward the fall and wondering you know, what's going to happen. But, but as of right now, our president, Paul McNulty, um, one of the truly, I'm not just saying this because he's my boss, he's truly one of the great college presidents in the yes. country. Yes, he is. He, he, yeah, he really is. And, and we're, we're opening on time. I mean, the plan is August 24th. And I'm not sure. I mean, we do have plans. I'm not. I'm not informed of all of them as to what exactly we're going to do with students coming back. Will they be tested to see if they have COVID-19? I don't know. But I, I, so in our little area of Mercer County, Pennsylvania, there's only about a hundred hundred cases. 
And in the town of Grove City, I checked this morning, there are 13 cases. And I think at least 12 of those have got to be fully recovered at this point. But, you know, you have 2,500 students coming in from all around the country, New York, New Jersey, Texas. And so it's more of a danger of not them coming here and getting exposed, but people here being exposed to students coming in. But, But as you know, too, I mean, younger people tend not to carry it as much or, um, of course, it depends on the age, but they're 20, 21. They could be carriers. So it's something that you that you got to be careful about. Pay attention, take precautions, safeguards, use the mask, right. social distance, but proceed with business, you know. And, and also, too, I mean, a lot of people aren't talking about this bill. They should be, but if, you know, there is quite a, a very good possibility that there could be a vaccine. Or sure. at least some, some you know, effective therapeutic uh, regimes, which I think there probably are right now. But it's possible you could have a vac- vaccine by October, um, November. In fact, Donald Trump's call for – I wrote a piece on this for American Spectator um, – Operation Warp Speed, a Manhattan-like project yeah. to, to – to, uh, Manhattan Project-like situation to – try to get a vaccine for COVID-19. I think that's something that the liberals are not giving Trump, <laughs> you know, no surprise, no, not giving him adequate no. credit for. And no, my, uh, my alma mater, yeah, my alma mater at the University of Pittsburgh, which is where the yeah. Jonas Salk vaccine for polio was discovered in 1955. Right. Right. Yeah, they, they held a press conference uh, April 1st or 2nd. They published, uh, researchers there published an article in The Lancet, the British Medical Journal, they think they already have a vaccine, right. which they had developed from earlier so there's earlier outbreaks, COVID, SARS prior, and so they're in, a, they're in a clinical trial right now. So it's quite possible that you know the world, the country, could have something by the fall semester. Right. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, good. Let's move on uh, because I was, you know, you you write a lot, and I read. I hope everything you write. I was particularly moved and touched by your article about, I want to pronounce it right, I said to a California friend, Unipero, Sarah, he said, Unipero, I think we say Unipero. Mm-hmm. Is, how, is yeah. that how you say it? I, I think that's how you'd say it in Spanish, yeah, yeah, Unipero. I, I say, I think, Unipero, Sarah, okay. or let's just go with Saint Sarah, how's that? Saint Sarah. Anyway, I have seen these statues, at least a couple of them in California. Uh, I had the story of Father Sarah. Uh, in my uh, children's book of America, which was uh, oh, you know one of the offshoots of the, of the book of virtues, just as part of what America is, he well t- you tell us about him. I say he's sometimes called the spiritual father of California. But tell us, tell yeah. the audience who Father Sarah is was. Yeah, so he he was uh, he was an 18th century Spanish Franciscan friar missionary. And a lot of people don't appreciate this. You do. He was really one of the founders of America. And we think of, in fact, Archbishop Gomez from from Los Angeles pointed this out, that you know, a lot of people don't realize the guy was actually a spiritual, of the, a spiritual founder of the country. And one thing that we need to think about when we, when we think about the founders of America is that America had as much a, a spiritual founding as a political one. In fact, Alexis de Tocqueville talked about how the difference between the American Revolution and the French Revolution was that the American Revolution, as he put it, was a providential event. 
right? He, he said it was it was a religious revolution. It was a religious event, whereas the French Revolution was an anti-religious event. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we think of our founders, and we think of we think of the American founders, Philadelphia, Virginia, almost exclusively Protestants, right? I think the only Catholic signer of the Declaration was was Carroll. And Charles Carroll, Baltimore. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. So they, they they were almost all Protestants, and this is off the top of my head. Michael Novak, I think, recorded of the eighty-six signers of the Declaration and the and the Constitution. I think eighty-three were Protestant or some, yeah. something something yeah. like that. But but the the Pilgrims obviously were Protestants as well. But so, they, but they all landed on the East Coast. You know, Columbus, of course, was was Catholic. He he landed on the East Coast. But but you have the West Coast. Right, so what happened <laughs> with Father was, Sarah? How, how did he? Well, he came as a missionary, and to yeah. whom did he uh, preach and practice? So he he preached to all of what is the West Coast, and he built all those missions up and down the the West Coast. There's 21 of them. I believe nine of them, I think, were built personally by him, some of his some of his group. But I think 21 altogether were built by what are considered kind of his missionaries. And those missions, they are they are all up and down the California coast. They're they're great yeah. tourist spots. And in fact, the uh, for people who are really ignorant of American history, which unfortunately seems to be an awful lot of people nowadays, I mean, the reason that you have Cities with names like San Francisco, you know, hello, right. <laughs> San Francisco means Saint Francis. Not anymore. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> right, right, and and in fact, it was it was in in San Francisco's uh, um, Golden Gate or Golden State Park a few weeks ago that they ripped down a statue of Junipero Serra and a statue of Ulysses S. Grant, yeah. <laughs> the Union general who defeated the Confederacy, of, of, of all things. Well, what's, I but, mean, what, what, did, what did Serra do? So he was a missionary. He worked with Native Americans, I think, and, and Latinos, correct? And, he did. And uh, was, by all accounts, a, a good priest. I'm trying to get to... Well, the, the punchline here, folks, is that in the article, Paul talks about just the hauling away of these statues. What, how many have been taken down now? Two or three? Of, of At Sarah? least. Right. Yeah, so there, so there, in the last few weeks, okay, so there was one in San Francisco. Then there was one in Sarah Park in Los Angeles. Right. And then what inspired me to write this article for National Catholic Register the one in front of City Hall in Ventura, California, right. which I've literally walked by hundreds of times. Right. Every time I go to California, that's where I stay. And and in fact, here's another one. Ventura is named for San Buenaventura, St. Bonaventure, yeah. also a Franciscan. And one of the missions that Sarah built is, is, is there in Ventura. It's the San Buenaventura mission. Uh, so, so that one, that one is being taken down now before the mob desecrates it, throws red paint on it. And, and, and here's another. And in 2017, and I remember this because I had just been there, the Santa Barbara mission, okay, Santa Barbara, Saint Barbara, right? Santa Barbara is named for another saint. The Santa Barbara mission, that was, we were there, Bill, August 2017. I had just spoken at the Reagan Ranch Center. And I visited that, that, that mission with my kids. We stood outside the uh, Sarah statue, gave a little history lesson 
with State Sarah. And then I come home like three weeks later, and they had thrown red paint on it, and they beheaded it. Which, by the way, how do you how do you even behead a bronze statue? I, I mean, that know. takes some work, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, that sure. takes some work. I, I mean, I, I split wood here at my house. That's yeah. that's that's hard. Yeah. How, how do you sit there and saw off? The head of a bronze statue. How do you even do that? You got to really so not like him. What? What's Paul? What's What's the rap against him? What What is it that well, that causes people to throw blood and take down? What's the argument, whether it's specious or not? Well, the the, the rap is from uh, different groups of Native Americans, including including a group called the Chumash, and they claim that he mistreated the Native Americans mistreated the native tribes, or really, I mean, more specifically, that his missionaries did. Um, and, I, and I must say, I've read both sides on this, and, and the side that's attacking him, it's kind of the classic sloppy history that you expect, right? You got quotes from people. I quote one of them in my National Catholic Register piece. One of the guys outside the statue who's from nearby Camarillo, and he's accusing him of, of genocidal racism. And it's like, oh, please. I mean, that's way over the top. Uh, they, they, they accuse him, too, and this is very common. You know, Columbus got this as well, of bringing Christianity to Native tribes, right? And the bringing of the Christianity, which guys like you and I have always seen as wonderful, right? Evangelization and missionary work. Sure. They see this as, well, these people were living in peace and harmony, and they had their own faiths, and they had their own beliefs, and he came and he imposed his Christianity on them, right? So for them, you know, the mere bringing of Christianity is a form of, like, um, cultural or Western imperial appropriation, or whatever you want to call it. Right? All right, just by they, itself, they, is, is, is there... You know, in the modern times, one can't think about the Catholic Church and priests without thinking about all these cases of abuse, uh, priests' abuse of children, a horrible, horrible thing, obviously, as you and I have talked about. Is there that allegation, or is it just this sort of imperialism, colonialism, uh, you know, disrupting the culture of the, of the natives? I mean, are there specific kind of charges or any plausible evidence that he mistreated these Native Americans or the children? I don't know of, of any evidence that he in particular did. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, the the argument, now, now keep this in mind, people listening, this is very important to understand. He was canonized by Pope Francis right. in September 2015. I mean, Francis isn't exactly some hayseed driving around a pickup truck with a gun rack and Confederate flag hanging sure from the back not, of it, no, all right? That's right. Okay, I, I mean, Pope Francis is, you know, kind of liked by liberals, right? And let's be honest, really not liked all that much by conservative Catholics. And and and, and his canonization speech, his homily at Catholic University of America, he said the, quite the contrary. Um, he treated the Native American tribes well, ensured that they weren't mistreated. And here's a statement from the California Catholic Conference of Bishops, Bill. This came out about two weeks ago, and this is from this from the actual website. Again, these guys aren't exactly seen as a bunch of right-wingers, okay? This is Archbishop um, Sal, uh, Salvador Cordelione of uh, San Francisco. This is a direct quote from the Archbishop. 
Saint Sarah made heroic sacrifices to protect the indigenous people of California okay. from their Spanish conquerors, okay. especially the soldiers. Okay. Even with his infirm leg, which caused him such pain, he walked all the way to Mexico City to obtain special faculties of governance um, from the Viceroy of Spain in order to discipline the military who were abusing the Indians. Oh, and then oh. he walked back to California. And he says this, unless there be any doubt, we have a physical reminder to this day. Everywhere there is a presidio, soldiers' barracks, associated with a mission in a chain of 21 missions that he founded. The presidio is miles away from the mission itself in the school. St. Hanipero Sarah also offered them the best thing that he had. And here, of course, they don't like this. The knowledge and love of Jesus Christ which he and his fellow friars did through education, health care, yeah, yeah. and training in the agrarian arts. So they argue to the contrary that Sarah and his missionaries protect these tribes and at the very least um, lessened the harshness of the treatment that they would have received from, from the soldiers, from uh, you know, the, the Spanish colonists who were indeed I brutal. I got it. So this, right? is, uh, right. this is the offense. He brought Christianity and intervened between... Uh, some of the Spanish soldiers' uh, 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 misdoings uh, and, and, and inappropriate behaviors and, and these native tribes. So for this, yeah, it, he gets torn right. down. He gets stuff, pain all over him. Um, it, it's extraordinary to me. And I, I, just, I just thought it would be interesting to the audience to hear this because it's not a name that's familiar to a lot of people like Ulysses S. Grant or you know, Robert E. Lee or, or Christopher Columbus. And, and, but I want you to, to say whatever but more you want be. about Sarah. But I, I want I want to in the few minutes we have left. I want you as a great uh, historian and chronicler of America move from this specific to this general. What is going on here with the destruction yeah. of all these statues? And I mean in general. And I I've heard the distinction between the Confederacy and the and Ulysses S. Grant. I'm not crazy about it. I, I really don't want to destroy Robert E. Lee's statue. Or Stonewall right. Jackson, I, I I can understand. I can I can I can put things in perspective myself. Thank you very much. But what what is going on here, Paul? But uh, again, if yeah, there's more to say about Sarah, go ahead and say that first. Well, I'll say there's one other thing about Sarah. I, I, were people abused at some of these missions? Probably so, because this stuff happens all the time, right? I mean, these people aren't perfect, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's always the case with, with our soldiers in Vietnam, with our soldiers in World War II, right? I mean, the, the greatest generation. You can still find abuses of American soldiers in, you know, in, in World War II. But, um, yeah, we've quickly gone from Confederate soldiers to, to even Union soldiers. And, and you and I, I mean, we're both Northerners, right? We both, we both live in Pennsylvania. I mean, I'm a Lincoln guy. Guy. I'm a union guy, and, and I've I've never liked the Confederacy. I've always cringed when I think, you know, wow, damn, those guys fought a civil war to defend slavery. That's just that's awful, right? And I see a statue of Stonewall Jackson and, and those guys. I think oh, I don't want to hear the nonsense about him being a great military tag. That nonsense. These guys fought for slavery, but but still, I, I've never been comfortable tearing down the statues. I, I just, I just, I, I, as a historian, I don't, I don't like it. What is this about? Well, what's the, well, what's it, the deep it, it, motivation? Well, the deeper motivation now is, is, is that, uh, by the way, once you establish in principle the right of any particular aggrieved group to be able to tear down statues, beware. 
because soon they'll be coming for your statue. Yeah, sure. Especially, especially when you can't find a human being with a statue built to that human being that doesn't have flaws, right? Including even Abraham Lincoln. I guess. Yeah, um, you bet. Sure. Right. Right, and so, but but now it's going to, you go from protesting uh, uh, George Floyd's awful death in Minneapolis to three weeks later in Minneapolis tearing down a statue of Columbus in Minneapolis. So now it's gone from uh, you know, statues of alleged racists during the Confederate in the Confederacy to the very fabric of America, George Washington. Um, so it's Francis about America. Kansky. It's about America. Yeah, not, yeah. Now it's about the literal, very foundation of America itself. And it's, it's. It, it, remember Donald Trump after Charlottesville when, when, when he said, when he said, Bill, uh, well, where's this going to stop? Because Washington and Jefferson owned slaves, yeah. and the left said, oh, that's a racist dog whistle. That's a dog whistle. That's a dog whistle, right? <laughs> it, it, but, but no, he was making a good point. Washington had 316 slaves that worked Mount Vernon. Didn't stop. Uh, it didn't stop. Right? So, <laughs> yeah, where, so where's it going to stop? Let me let me go back uh, one thing. St. Louis? Gonna, yeah. Yale? St. Louis, yeah. All right. Let me go back a second. I remember learning in school, tell me if it's true, back to what you're saying that he was canonized. The process they go through before they canonize is, is one of the most serious and substantial vettings that takes place on God's earth, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And what's the Latin term? It's for devil's advocate. Yeah, devil, that's where devil's are. advocate comes from, right? Is the person that's who right. argues against sainthood, right? Yeah. That's exactly right. For Sarah to have passed right. muster means the record had to have been pretty good. Yeah, that's right. I mean, picture this. Uh, I think the role of devil's advocate that, that's played by different people in the Vatican, the canonization process, is very interesting. I mean, picture picture a courtroom where you, in a, in a sense, a tribunal, and you've got the five or six people arguing the case for canonization, and then you've got a guy who comes in who's just, you know, pulling out every possible stop or obstacle he can, right, trying to argue against it just to see if it passes scrutiny. And that's, that's what Sarah went through. So imagine the priests in Ventura, Father Tom uh, Eliwat, who I know, I met him at the Santa uh, Bonaventura Mission, um, Bishop Robert Barron out there in Santa Barbara. Imagine all those guys who were watching this and thinking to themselves, you know, I've read all the books. I've read the canonization stuff. I know this history. These people standing in front of the statue representing the Chumash Indians right now with a microphone crying about how um, you know, Sarah's people raped their hands. You know, I've read all this. I've read the pros and cons. I've been through this history. My church has been through this. We know what's legit and what's not, but but yet the, the process now in the public square isn't anything that sophisticated. Okay, let's it, talk about the mob comes and shows up with spray cans and a noose. Let's talk about the bet. public square. Uh, obviously, you can arrest people for breaking the law and should, and I'm glad the president has said so. But what's what's the larger remedy uh, here, Professor Kangor? What's the larger remedy for America? How do we get past this? Uh, this moment, we're we're recording here on the eve of the Fourth of July. How do we see the whole picture and overcome this? Is it a more accurate presentation of history, the teaching of history, um, telling the truth about America with all its faults and imperfections? What's what's the the, the large the, the, the true answer to this uh, all this uh, vicious stuff uh, having to do with taking down statues? 
Well, the opposite of the word vicious is virtue, right? And I mean, you've written the book of virtues, and I think a return to good old-fashioned um, virtues, theological virtues, carnal virtues. Uh, they, we in America, we've we've totally lost civility. Uh, the, the founders talked about the virtues all the time. They talked about prudence, right? They sure. uh, a part of it, I think, is simply uh, you know, temperance. Right, you know, step back, right. cool off, right. uh, quit screaming at each other. The, okay. the, the you know, Twitter mobs, the way people get lynched on Twitter. You can get this happened to me very recently. You know, someone does a five minute Google search and they find something that you've written and and they go after you about it and they don't even take another five or even twenty minutes to find all the other stuff that you wrote on the opposite. That's of it. right. That's right. Yeah, people, That's right. Are, people are just people are vicious, and and, and you know, faith, hope, and charity. Uh, where's charity? Treat people with charity. Uh, treat people. Uh, you See, know, I, another Latin you know, word, the Imago Dei, right in the image of God. Right. See, I think people talk about the election coming up. The first two issues being the economy and COVID. I I don't think so. I think it's what we're talking about here. I think I think it's civilization and. Um, whether we still have it, preserve it, whether we have the guts to defend it. You know, Pericles says the secret of uh, democracy is courage. And, mm. man, I've just seen people just folding left and right to the, you know, not sensible arguments about discrimination and, and you know, and, and, and mistreatment of, uh, of minorities and so on. But to every threat, every crazy idea, people just folding and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And we we have to recover this because these you know I I am I am a Catholic I am a conservative I believe it's a veil of tears I believe that civilization is a pretty thin veneer and we have to do everything we can to preserve it and right now I you know I it's in some places it seems up to me up for grabs right no it is a veil of tears and I, I noticed in one of the reader comments in my uh, Sarah piece for National Catholic Register somebody wrote. We need to listen to these people. We need to listen. Well, when you're standing there outside of the statue and they're screaming and they're tearing it down and you're standing there saying, I'm listening, I'm listening. Someone needs to have the courage to say, I'm sorry, but you can't do that. Okay. That's not civil discourse. Let's go have a debate wherever, but you can't just pull out a spray paint can and a saw and bring a chain and a noose and rip the yeah you're right a, a, a return to decency to virtue and, and also too by our public officials courage that would Good. be nice to see as well our founders had courage thank you thank you what are your plans for the fourth real quick you and the family well, getting, yeah getting together with family and it's times like this when the country and culture are, are in complete chaos when I think oftentimes all you have really left to go to is your family. Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's what that's what I'm going to do and try to work on at least um, civility and decency, at least in my own family life. Right. right. Yeah. Be, begins at home. <laughs> I know. I began, I'm, I'm laughing because I think I told you when we were together at Grove City, I told the story of the woman coming up to Mrs. Bennett saying, must be so wonderful to be married to the author of the Book of Virtues. She said, oh, yeah, spotless, spotless, <laughs> right, right, without right. sin, without fault. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, oh, it's, it starts at home. Good place to learn. Paul, right, we thank right. you. Thank you for your work. Thanks for being such a great uh, teacher, uh, well, thank scholar. Thank you for your work. And, uh, thank you. 
you just have a distinctive angle on things, and we love uh, hearing from you, reading you, and and uh, and and talking to you. And we're going to put a link up to this and uh, on the website. Thanks, Paul. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org. Presentdangerchina.org. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. And now let's welcome Joel Farkas to the show. He's the director of the American Strategy Group. I am a fellow at the American Strategy Group here in Washington. And here is Joel Farkas. So let me tell you this, uh, audience, so I don't want you to start being prejudiced against Mr. Farkas, but he's in sunny Idaho, green Idaho, (laughs) and thus will speak expertly about the state of American cities. (laughs) I. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I remember at Williams College where I was, which is about as woodsy and bucolic a place as you can find in northeastern, uh, northwestern Massachusetts, they started a center for urban affairs. So that's the most ridiculous location possible. You know? Anyway, least urban place. But you, you know cities. You've, you lived in them. You live in them. And you've helped uh, put them together. And you've helped... Uh, make them bigger and better and stronger. And you are a great student of American cities and the movement from of Americans from one place to the next. Two articles you sent me, and I want to pick up the themes in them as you, as you wish. One about the movement of Americans to the suburbs, particularly southern suburbs, but really all suburbs out of cities. And second, uh, the situation you were describing in Denver, which is a particular case, but symptomatic of, I think, larger things. But let me start with this. Uh, an item I read this morning, and I always pop something on you, Joel, surprise, but it was from a real estate guy in New York saying, we can't keep up with the moving vans that are coming into the city moving people out. People are just getting out as fast as they can. And he said, COVID, yeah, yeah. violence, uh, you know, who owns the streets, uh, cuts in police, uh, I guess no Broadway, uh, restaurants, why be there? What's going on, Joel? In the United States, uh, U.S. citizens have more than 19,000 choices. That's, that's how many, uh, there's 19,300 jurisdictions, municipal jurisdictions in the country. If all you did was watch the news, you would be focusing on the top 20 urban areas that um, are having the current set of conditions and issues and chaos in acrimony. But those are just a small sampling of the choices that the great founding fathers gave this country, which was liberty and choice and opportunity. And there's more than 19,000 of them in the United States. Many of them have populations of 50 to 100,000 people. And uh, the unheard middle class of this country, the people that, that don't have their own uh, shows, the people that don't get have their own lobbyists, the people that, are, that don't get represented, people that get uh, ignored, they are instinctively, and by the way, many of them are the people that don't go to college either, but they are instinctively packing up their families and leaving the places that have no interest in what their issues are, what their what their wants, their desires, they're leaving. You all, you do do nothing other than just read the you all reports every week, where you all vans are taking people away, and it's very it's very expensive to take a you all van from New York or California or Illinois somewhere else to maybe Utah, Idaho, or Texas. But if you want to bring a U-Haul van back from Texas, Idaho, or or Utah, back to California, or back to New York, they'll almost pay you to do it because no one wants to go that way. Yeah, wow. 
How come? Movement out of the city has been something that's been going on for almost five decades. Um, how come? Well, today, uh, COVID has accelerated that movement. Um, not so long ago, we were talking about homelessness. Not so long ago, we were talking about income inequality. Uh, we were talking about the high cost of living, paying three, four, five thousand dollars a month rent for a studio one bedroom apartment, um, not being the highest utility rates in the country. We can go on for each and every one of those issues. And now we're talking about defunding police. Um, well, each and every one of those items that, were, that I just mentioned has their own purpose to focus on um, anything other than a middle-class family who's raising kids, going to school, if they can get, I don't know what school you're going to go to that you can afford to pay $5,000 a month for a one-bedroom and go to a terrible school that can't teach math, science, or English. Those are all the reasons. And for instance, um, Minneapolis, which has been in the news recently, uh, last year they were in the news because the Minneapolis City Council uh, voted to ban single-family housing uh, in the city of Minneapolis. Well, what does that mean? That means if you have a, 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 a family and kids, you know, you can't. You, you're not. You're going to be ostracized because there's no new single-family housing you're going to build. You're going to be able to buy. You want to defund the police? Guess what? Fewer police officers mean fewer people making on the force. Fewer people paying into the police retirement funds of all these states, California, New York, and Illinois, um, which are already woefully underfunded. Uh, so therefore, the retirement plans of these states, if, they, if people thought that they were in trouble today, they're going to be decimated in the, next, in the coming years for lack of uh, people paying into them. Each and every one of them we could spend two hours on. But today, COVID has accelerated what many political leaders have wanted to see, have promoted their policies to ignore a middle-class, single-family household family raising children. There is no place for them in these cities, but there's places for them in every other city in the United States um, uh, that we're talking about. What about this dimension, uh, Joel? One of the articles you sent uh, headline was a huge movement to southern suburbs, movement to the suburbs generally. Uh, and indeed, the suburbs around New York are, are, are increasing as the city is decreasing. But um, nationally, the southern suburbs, suburbs around Columbia, South Carolina, in the article you sent me, uh, around Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, those areas are becoming very popular. How come? Is that climate? Is that culture? Is that opportunity? What, what is it? All of the above? It's all of the above, but it's also what, what you don't see in any of those cities. You don't see uh, the city council uh, discouraging single-family housing. You don't see the city councils uh, passing ordinances that homeless people have the right to live every, everywhere within those city boundaries, and, and it would be uh, illegal to preclude them from living there. You don't see them passing ordinance saying every single transitional housing or group home can locate anywhere within those cities. Um, you, you don't see um, uh, an, an assault on, on defunding a police department. You don't see high utility rates. You don't see um, uh, the city, like the city of Los Angeles, just uh, had a bunch of elected officials with shovels in their hands, um, showing that they're, they're 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 opening up an affordable housing project in the LA area. The affordable housing project is 53 units to 20 million dollars. That's 400 thousand dollars per unit. You don't see um, a median 80 percent of the median income 
in those cities being $78,000 to qualify for affordable housing. None of that you see in those locations. I see. Um, and someone who's making 78000 in those areas is owning a home, not trying to, to scratch and claw and qualify for the meager affordable housing units that are being built by the city council. Very interesting. Now, one other thing about these cities, I'll just comment and you tell me the relevance to what, we've, what you've said already, is almost all of these uh, major cities, 20 biggest, are run by Democrats. Second, yes. most of the major media operates out of those cities with their principal home bases, New York, Los Angeles, yes. Chicago, etc. How does that bear on the discussion we're having? Is what you're saying, let me just take a stab at this, largely news, invisible to a lot of Americans, because they're getting their news uh, and their perspective from that of people who live in big cities and broadcast from big cities. Yes. Um, the, the news is coming from a big city. Um, the economists, uh, Paul Krugman, who won his Nobel Prize on urban, basically economic geography, which was promoting urban cities. The planners of like Richard Florida or Peter Calthorpe, who spent their careers saying the, the, uh, the, the only way to live is Peter Calthorpe's way is around transit-oriented development, uh, get into, have, have everyone in these high-density nodes connected by uh, high-volume transportation. Um, Richard Florida talked about the only place for innovation and creativity um, and, and, and growth is in urban areas, the knowledge class, he called it. Um, every elected official uh, that's a, a, a progressive views that the, um, uh, the the locations, the locales of their citizens should be in these condensed uh, areas because they have more authority and control. Every metropolitan water district would like to control moving water from someplace to these high-density cores and serve them water and control that. Power companies would like to control where they sell their power to a condensed area rather than a dispersed area around the country. Almost every single political or academic or economic perspective of a progressive is put people in an area that they can control all of these services, utilities, water, housing, and economics, mm-hmm. um, and even, quite frankly, police forces and fire provision. These are, these are, this is a policy. This is a focus. Um, when I hear my friends in other cities that are getting subjected to these new, you know, these new edicts, their first comment to me, and these are very, very bright people, very bright, very successful. How could this be happening to our city? Do they understand that if they do these kind, if they promote these policies, it's not welcoming to me and my family and they're going to push me out? Now, this is, this is the question. It sounds like a Socratic question. How could this be happening? Well, it's happening because it is purposeful. And, um, but the positive evidence I see is that the people who don't watch the news as much, the people who aren't engrossed in college academia, they're making, they, they, they instinctively see that this is a terrible place for them. They're not wanted. And thankfully, again, in the United States, they have 19,000 choices. Good. Yeah, that's where you started. Tell us, late uh, in uh, in the week, uh, you sent me an article about Denver. 
and you wrote something under it like it's self-destructing or it's in bad shape or coming apart. I think it might have said something like it's disintegrating. Disintegrating, um, okay. Okay, I understated it. Okay, <laughs> okay. What, what's that? What, yeah. Why? I mean, you've 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 lived in Denver. Maybe you still do to some extent. I don't know. Um, yes, thirty-six years. Okay, there you go. What, what, what's happening? So, um, Denver City Council last week canceled their city council meeting. Um, uh, a week and a half, two weeks prior to that, they had their first uh, in in-person city council meeting uh, since COVID outbreak. That city council meeting, uh, not the last one, the one prior to that was um, inundated with hundreds of people taking over the mic, screaming uh, vitriolic anger towards the council members to the place where the council members, other than one, felt tremendously unsafe. The Denver police did nothing to come in to quell this uh, unrest, and it was uh, it was just basically a taking over of Denver City Council and screaming profanities at elected officials. I say other than one, there's this one um, uh, completely Beyond to say left wing, it gives gives the left wing of a bird uh, not enough uh, credibility. Was encouraging this mob of people to be screaming at council members, actually supporting and encouraging it. Well, that was just on uh, on the on the issues that were that everyone's familiar with. But then now the Denver City Council is uh, adding another uh, ordinance that they want to pass, which is um, homeless uh, uh, shelters, homeless uh, or, or group homes, all these kinds of different uh, areas for treatment. Uh, they're going to basically try to overthrow all of the zoning ordinances within city, of, city and county of Denver and say these facilities can be anywhere within the city and they take precedence. But I'm, I'm summarizing it, but that's the basic, the basic proposal. And so people in Denver who've been there a long time say, why would we do this? This is crazy. This has, this is just like throwing out everything that we, we've lived and worked for here in Denver. How could this happen? Well, it happens because it's not just new in Denver. Los Angeles did this about 15 years ago. Now they were, they had the same issue, same proposal. They were sued by the ACLU. Uh, I'll summarize it. The ACLU and the city of Los Angeles settled their agreement. They called it the Jones Agreement. And the, and the basis behind this was LA had skid row they all the homeless people were concentrated, and the ACLU said that's unfair. The entire city of Los Angeles must be subjected to and must be aware of, and they must be part of the homeless problem we have in L.A., and therefore we have this Jones Agreement. The Jones Agreement said, and remember, L.A. is a city of 25 million people. It said L.A. has to build 625 units in Skid Row and 625 units everywhere else in the city of Los Angeles. That's pretty simple to do. L.A. did that several years afterwards. L.A. never, the city council of Los Angeles never went back to court to say, we've now complied with this agreement, it's over. And the reason they didn't do that is because once they did that, they would then be able to go back and, and, the LA, and their police department would be able to enforce uh, people, uh, the, 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 the ordinance of people cannot sleep on sidewalks and under bridges and the like. The city council did not want to do that. They wanted to continue to allow the homelessness to uh, be everywhere within the city. They wanted every one of their citizens to see it, live it, live next to it, and be next All to right, it. The point here, I'm, I, I just want to be sure I'm following it. It's not to have it isolated, the homeless and the halfway house and the drug addicted and so on, but it's to have them spread out throughout the whole city. 
Is that right? Throughout the whole, there is a, yes, there is a political contingent. Yes, the political contingent that, wants all of that. That includes downtown and Beverly Hills and Hollywood and everywhere? Everywhere. Okay. Everywhere. Okay. And they want to, and, and, the, and the method of, the, the, the method is to preclude police from taking people off the streets and in San Francisco, they go one step further. They feel it's it's unfair to force someone off the streets into a homeless shelter. Wow! They think that's a, that's unfair and, and 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 improper. This is a purposeful belief of far left um, ideology. And people are going to react to this and rebel against it. And it's not just going to be, if you will, white conservatives, right? I mean, it's going to be people who bought a house, have lived in it for 20 years, and they look across the street one day, and there's a lot of homeless people and drug addicts and so on. They're saying, well, this is the new L.A. These are my new neighbors. Is that the point? They're going, yes, they're going, and they're going to leave. They're not, they've got two choices. Persuade this ideological group that what they're saying and doing is unfair and unreasonable. That's never going to happen. Or they leave, and they're going to leave. I used, I used to say they are going to leave. We are now witnessing they are leaving. It's no longer in the future. Okay, so People are abandoning these cities. So, all right, so this, this suggests to me, along with where we started, that we're seeing the maybe not acute, or this distinction I learned in school, acute and chronic, you know the difference. The chronic suicide of our cities. Yes. Long-term, ongoing, step-by-step, COVID accelerates, but these self-willed legislated efforts uh, are the main thing that's driving these cities down and driving people out. And to your point earlier, um, they're run by progressive liberal Democrats. It's, it, 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 is a, it is a viewpoint, it's an ideology, it's a purpose. And in Colorado, for instance, which is very similar to California in this regard, that, uh, that we have a very uh, idyllic city called Boulder, Boulder, Colorado. It's the home of uh, the CU uh, uh, University, well, University of Colorado, the Buffaloes. The governor of Colorado is from Boulder, the Speaker of the House, or our, our House Majority Leader. In, the, in Colorado is from Boulder. The, in the Senate, the Senate majority leader is from Boulder. Now, the entire state is basically governed by powerful politicians from the city of Boulder, which is, by the way, the same as California. Everyone that governs California of any consequence is from San Francisco. Um, now, what is Boulder? Boulder is a community north of Denver with a bunch of very uh, white, progressive, ideologues. The Caucasian population in Boulder is 90%. The black population is about 1.2%. And yet this is who is politically shaming, dictating, and and, and attacking all the other uh, middle class people that we've been talking about. As being, if, if you don't agree, you are racist. And it's coming from probably the least diverse city not only in the state of Colorado, but in the country. I just got something in from our mutual friend, Brian. I don't know how many thousands this will drive out of California, but it's not going to be liked by a lot of people. Californians are still free to attend their houses of worship, but they are now forbidden by the governor from singing or chanting. I mean, you said, you know, give the left, the left wing of the bird a bad name. This is just nuts. 
Okay, I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of on point, but it's kind of off point. But this is how many ways can we punish people? Sort of how many ways can we it's make purposeful. their life miserable? Purposeful. purposeful. It's, it's, yeah. it's, nuts to those, it's nuts to those who have uh, some sort of semblance of, of individuality and liberty. Yeah. It is not nuts to those who are passing, passing these, uh, these, these rules and regulations and laws and ordinance. It, it's, it's perfectly logical to them because in their way of thinking, which is not so different than what we see in China, if you think for yourself, if you believe in liberty, if you believe in, 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 in those kinds of uh, ideals, you are a selfish person who needs to be reeducated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unfair. Yeah. If you believe that way, you're selfish. Yeah, got it. You know, in, in housing, in housing, you know, one of the big, now we're seeing a, a flood of people moving to suburbs and in particular southern states, but other places, any suburb in America. Last year, one of the issues the housing market was confronting, housing industry, was millennials um, weren't buying houses. They felt, I want to live in these places of center of knowledge and innovation and creativity, and I'm willing to pay, oh, in Denver, $1,700 a month for a studio in Denver, Colorado, or several thousand in the big cities. And they were willing to do that. What's, what we are seeing now in the housing industry, almost like a light switch, is millennials have said, under, under no circumstances are they willing to live that way any longer. Amazing. They're leaving, they're buying houses, and they're, they're saying, if I have to work remotely, I mean, San Francisco... San Francisco, the the, 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 the rental rates have, have dropped like in double digits in the last month because young kids realize they don't need to live there anymore. They're, they're forced to work remotely. They're not going to go there. Amazing. Amazing. All right. I, I think, you know, this is, this is a great look into the future. I think we're, we're seeing the future shape up in this way. We will look to see the growth of places uh, that you described, the southern suburbs, uh, uh, other places. What'd you say? Nineteen thousand three hundred choices. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, nineteen thousand three hundred uh, plus or minus choices of municipal jurisdictions in this country. Amazing, quite amazing. Joel Farkas, we thank you again. Thank you very much. Uh, People really appreciate your perspective. It's unique, and uh, people listen for it and ask for you to come back. So we're delighted that you did. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Claude. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Uh, I want to do some emails. Love these emails. We're getting them regularly now a lot, and our a audience lot, is yeah. growing. So many people emailing in. Uh, by the way, you can at BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, saying, I just found the show two weeks ago. Just yeah. found it a month ago. Yeah. You know, three days ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Let's deal with Timothy first, because he didn't think I'm uh, playing it fair. Okay. He said, indeed, the issue is subject, and biggest problem is the president never really saw his presidency as anything but a real estate game. He seemingly holds no interest in working for the country in its entirety. From Floyd to pandemic, he does not provide a ray of belief, hope, optimism that he truly cares. Um, start with, okay, st- start with getting rid of Trump. Uh, four years of Biden, nothing will happen. Um, bad choices. I, I just take issue. Um Look, I, I know, you know, people want to say that the the real estate game and, you know, the what was the show called? Uh, oh, The Apprentice. Apprentice and all that. And, and the ego, the huge ego, and it's about me. And, you know, and that stuff can be tiresome. And, you know, we get tired of it. Mm-hmm. But 
I remember someone taught me about ambition. I said, is personal ambition bad? The person said, no, not if it's used for, for expanding purposes. That is, for purposes beyond the self. You're interested for yourself. But if it improves the lives of others, go for it. Right. Okay. Trump has clearly improved the lives of others economically, God knows. And I think in other ways, uh, other indices. So I would defend him on that. Uh, he's, you know, you know uh, Timothy writes, seemingly holds no interest in working for the country in its entirety. Well, he has, and, I, and he's achieved things. you got to give him his due on that. Look at these recent uh, unemployment uh, claims and uh, people going back to work. Quite, quite extraordinary. Subject to criticism, sure. Scott, uh, Scott Kerfoot, love that name. Subject, cognitive bias blind spot theory. That was intimidating. Okay. <laughs> Smart guy, but he he talks about a couple of generations that we as parents brought up to always be right, to always win an award, to always have the best opinion, never having to fight their own medals, never being challenged. Well, this generation is now in the adult world with no negotiating, compromise, listening, or resiliency skills. If they don't want it, it's wrong. If they believe in something, the discussion is over, and that is what is right. It isn't that these generations don't value data, discussion, compromise. It's that they don't matter in their thought process. Hmm. Only for them, their emotions matter, and they must be right because it's self-validating, your emotion. If you feel it's right, it's right. This is very smart, Scott. And if you don't think like them, you're wrong and maybe even evil. COVID must be the most deadly thing ever because they believe it. Mm. Systematic racism must exist everywhere because they believe it. The system must be burned to the ground because the system is bad. Facts and an open mind have no place in this process. Very interesting email, Scott. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thomas. Uh, long email. I can't read it. It would take another <laughs> day, but beautifully done. Um, third year as a high school special ed teacher in Colorado, one of the state's largest districts. Um, he goes on about politics and police reform and the state of things. And I just want to tell you, Thomas, I read it all. We'll read it all on air, but we appreciate it. It's very thoughtful and keep it coming. And then we had our lady jogger, she was, uh, I guess, running a 5K. Right. Listening to us. Mm-hmm. And she heard me reading her email. Yes. And she was delighted. Though, I th- did I take some blame for slowing her down or something? Christy from uh, Pemberton, uh, Florida. Right. Mm-hmm. I said that's a familiar name. And then she reminds us in this email about the radio show where we talked about her daughter. Right. Who did some extraordinary work. And solved a, a local problem, remember? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She says, uh, you may recall speaking to my amazing homeschooling husband, uh, who you spoke with uh, in 2011, after their eight-year-old daughter, on her own initiative, success- successfully convinced the county commission to remove fluoride water from the, uh, water, right. from the water system. Right. Yeah. Subsequently, two commissioners were voted out of office, and the fluoride was returned. Uh, you also gifted her with a, a personalized copy of the Book of Man. Right, and then there were just, we were in the process of discussing uh, Florida State and Florida and so on. Right. Okay. She was running a virtual 5K uh, when we started reading her email. What does a virtual 5K means you don't have to run? Uh, you do it, but you do it by yourself, oh, I, I think. And you are, but you're with a group who's doing it wherever they are. Yeah, but they're six feet away. Well, even further. I mean, she could run one in Pemberton, Florida, and if I'm in this group, I can do it here in Silver Spring. Oh, I got you. Yeah. I got you. But it's all kind of counted together. But she heard us while she was running. Right, exactly. That's great. Uh, she, says, uh, she says she's not a good running buddy. She slowed up dramatically 
while we were talking about while we were reading her email. And she says, "Why my dirty laundry was being aired." <laughs> Ultimately, she finished in uh, forty-seven minutes and fifty-two seconds in eighty-six degree weather. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Her recent ten uh, k was looks like an hour and thirty-three minutes, and a pre-COVID trial was uh, three thirty-four. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Good for her. All right. Thank you, Christy. Right? Yes. Thanks, Christy. All right. Um, Claude, uh, I gave you an assignment, and you haven't reported. Phil Steele. Phil Steele magazine. Yeah, haven't heard back from our buddies Phil Steele with the magazines. Um, when does it usually come out? Right? Usually, it's right around now. Usually, it's the first weekend. Of, I, but I believe they're out. I know for sure they're out. I, I saw them on Twitter talking about the magazine. I got to get two copies. Right. Autographed. <laughs> right. You're the man, and we'll get him on. Yeah, yeah, we'll get him on, and we'll get those two autographed copies. So you laughed, and my audience laughed when I said, well, you know, maybe we just, uh, you know, have the SEC, and we trade Vanderbilt to the ACC, bring in Clemson, and then, you know, just play the schedule. Right. You all laughed. However, there was a story in the, in the uh, online yesterday. SEC commissioner says we uh, we're willing to play the whole season if we're the only conference. Right. <laughs> so maybe we'll get. But that it said in the uh, uh, subtitle. But what to do about Vanderbilt? Well, I I told you. <laughs> Send Vanderbilt to ACC. Bring in Clemson. Clemson to play. They're fine. And then the SEC schedule with Clemson. Right. There you go. Well, they well there it is. <laughs> I saw Trey Gowdy, and he was. T- they were talking to Trey Gowdy, South Carolina guy, you know, Clemson father. And he, uh, they were talking about Columbus and uh, taking down the statue of Columbus, and they want to rename the city. Don't just take down the statue of Columbus, rename, rename the city. Mm-hmm. He said, oh, yeah, well, they can, they can name that the, the town that always loses to Clemson. <laughs> rename it. Man, oh man, he's looking for trouble and criticism. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's going to hear from the Ohio State mm-hmm. people. <laughs> Tell me, we're going to have a season. Tell me. I don't know. It's looking, it's looking sketchy, uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with just school in general. Um, you know, when you bring, the, do, do you just bring the players back? Uh, what's travel going to be? Um, right, team right. and staff. I mean, they're right. kids if, reporting, but they're reporting okay. and catching COVID. And all right. Clemson had 21 students. You're going to talk about sketchy and be negative. I don't want to hear your opinion. (laughs) But here's one thing. I mean, we can have a civil conversation, right, about race, but not about not about not not if you say it's not going to happen. I'm going to shut you down. But I I wonder what's is there a problem with even moving just the starting point back for a lot of different sports, whether it's college football, pro football, you know, basketball. I mean, the seasons start when we say they start because they traditionally start. Yeah, in they those, start later. Yeah, start in October, start in November. Carry you got, it over you to got the these spring. conference like, championships, and you have the Army-Navy game, and you have nothing. Exactly. Well, they can wait a Move month. it back. Wait a month. Yeah. yeah. Well, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. And anybody can do that, right? Yeah, anybody Just go can to BillBennettShow.com. TheBillBennettShow.com. The. Yes. Important enough to have the in front of you. Yes, yes, because if they just go to BillBennettShow.com, they won't, they won't find the show. So TheBillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Right. But not The Bill Bennett. No. But not on Facebook. But not on Facebook. So confusing. <laughs> Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's Bill Bennett Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you.